WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Last year in fall of 2021, we were invited by COGS to have a table over there for the fall Welcome Back Barbecue. At the Welcome Back Barbecue, we were joined by various students that spent like five minutes telling us about their research. One of the people that we had there was Maria Mailan. Maria was telling us about her research that she conducted in Alaska. However, we want to talk to her more about that. Hi, Maria. Thanks for joining us again. Can you please give us a recap for the listeners that might not have heard your episode back in fall of 2021? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My research centers around evaluating the efficiency of housing in rural Alaska. The area sees a lot of challenges with a harsh climate, inefficiently built homes, and high energy costs. And so I traveled over to a rural community and assessed 27 homes for energy efficiency and also interviewed 22 homeowners about it. And I was able to compile results that showed me the challenges that rural Alaska faces in terms of infrastructure. It's nice to hear from you again, Maria. When it comes to the energy infrastructure that you had mentioned, Are you referring to the community infrastructure that exists in the rural community for Alaska? That makes me think of the different kinds of energy resources that are involved, whether it's hydroelectric, fossil fuels, wind and solar, or does an energy infrastructure mean something different in your work? So energy efficiency refers to how well the building processes the energy that it uses. And so my tests were for airflow in the building and air leakage in the building. And I was able to tell if the house was losing inputted energy through areas that it shouldn't have, such as through cracks in the window or cracks in the wall, or if it was built well enough so that all energy that puts into the house, especially for heating, is used to the best of its ability and not wasted out of holes and other cracks in the walls. My laboratory is actually in an old building. Right now in the winter, I am freezing when I'm next to my desk. I actually believe that there is some kind of crack in the window, and there's so many windows that I have no idea where to start. How do you examine a building and windows for leakages and with the air since you can't really see air coming in? Okay, so what I used was called a blower door test. And what this is, is a giant fan that goes into the exterior door, and a frame covers the whole door so that the fan can sit in the door. And then I opened all of the interior doors and I closed all the windows and all the other exterior doors that weren't being used for the test. And then when I did that and I turned on the fan, it depressurizes the house so much so that outside air wants to come in because of the pressure difference between inside and outside. So I was able to see and feel and sometimes hear that there was air coming in places where you wouldn't want it to come in, what we did was we held a smokestick up and that was how we were able to see the air coming in. And sometimes if you don't have the test, but you can feel the air and you're not really sure where it's coming from, you could try the smokestick, but it definitely will work with the blower door test so that you're able to see where the air is coming in and then what may need to be repaired, such as weather stripping around the frame of the window or just new windows entirely. 
I could totally imagine, for example, just holding up a candle and seeing how the candle would flicker if there was some sort of wind inside of the house that you were studying. Were there any devices that you used to measure, for example, how much the temperature was changing as the air leakages were occurring? Or are you using something that can measure the amount of force that is coming in through these leakages to help identify and determine exactly where the leakages are occurring? So mainly we used the smokestick just to see that air was coming through, but the entire test itself tested airflow throughout the entire house. So when we pressurized the house, or when I pressurized the house to building airflow standard, just in the world of building efficiency, there's a standard that we want to pressurize our houses to when we do this test so that we can compare values to see if your house is either getting way too much air a perfect amount of airflow or not enough. And what I noticed is that a lot of the houses were very small, but they were still getting air leakage. And even though they were getting air leakage, my airflow test showed that they weren't getting a sufficient amount of air changes between clean outside air and stale indoor air. That was a problem. But I did have a few homes that I was able to tell that they had so many areas where air was coming in because their overall airflow value was very high. And that homeowner actually had a very recently broken window that wouldn't close all the way. So that was a way I could tell it was by the overall airflow value. That's a really cool way to analyze the airflow. There are other things that we can do to insulate heat in houses. For example, by having better insulation. Are there other factors that you were looking into to optimize the energy efficiency of these houses or did the homeowners maybe give you any other suggestions? Yeah, so a lot of homeowners told me what kind of insulation they had and it was really helpful for me to hear personally from them how they felt during the winter and also how much oil or wood they burned through. And some homes burned through so much oil every month, like gallons and 50 gallons of oil every week. Like this is an insane amount of oil. And just from hearing that, I was able to kind of pick up on the fact that maybe their insulation wasn't good, or maybe they were losing a lot of that heat through holes, or mostly it was insulation. And that was something that the homeowners told me. As an advocate for green energy, it's unfortunate that these homeowners have to use so much oil to keep their houses warm. Part of what makes this study unique is how you're doing this research in a rural community in Alaska. Michigan's pretty cold also, though, and just two weeks ago we had over a foot of snow that hit East Lansing and the surrounding areas. Is there a particular reason why you went over to Alaska to study the home energy efficiencies? Yeah, so... The rural northern areas of North America, this is both Alaska and Canada, many of their communities are small and many of them are indigenous communities and they see a lot of housing challenges that aren't present in the rest of the U.S. And this is quite a few factors, actually. You have climate change, which affects the far north super quickly, like much faster than it's affecting down here with melting permafrost and changing animal patterns, erosion, stronger storms. So they have a lot of weather factors that they have to deal with. 
but mostly it's that the history of the native communities is that the once the western culture became part of their lives the homes went from being more efficient for the climate and built efficiently by the native people into becoming built similar to something you would see in the contiguous united states and so with those houses And with the challenge also of being so remote that you can only use a plane or a boat to get to most of these places, the research area of study was rural Alaska due to all of these problems and the challenges of being remote and also the indigenous factor. Something I don't think we touched upon enough was that you were talking with the members of the community, for example, these homeowners. Now, Whenever you gathered all of this data and ways that they can make their houses more efficient, did you bring that data and that information that you learned to people who are maybe in charge of developing the community more? For example, if they were building more houses in that area, are there now recommendations for ways that they can improve them? Yeah, so I, of course, um, working under a larger foundation that funded our study I'm using this in like publications and stuff, but like that really isn't as important to me as helping out the community. So I compiled two summaries, one of all of the physical data on the house, and then one of all the interview data from interviews in the community. And I put all of that together and sent it over to the Native Village's housing director And so that person used my data to provide evidence that the community needed new housing as to why the community needed new housing. And these applications, if they go through, could provide a new neighborhood. And that would be amazing. In the Siberian regions of Russia, a lot of the homes there are now being heated through different electrical grids rather than through oil and gas heating. Since Alaska is around the same latitude, I wonder how would the energy efficiencies change if these homes in the rural communities went from a gas heating solution to an electrical heating solution? Did any of that take into account into your research? Yeah, so interesting. The electrical grids are microgrids. There is no way to connect to what they call the rail belt grid, which is the anchorage up to the Fairbanks area, because Alaska is so big and there's not very many roads. So the communities run on microgrids. And in my opinion, I think a microgrid is a very good opportunity to try renewable energy. And some communities have actually gone to renewable energy, especially in areas where they could use hydro with rivers and stuff like that. But the community I went to, they are on a diesel microgrid that is supplemented by wind turbines. And there's a few layers here as to why it's not fully on wind. And one is that the electrical infrastructure, so the wiring, is so old that it cannot carry the full electrical load from the wind turbines. So that needs to be updated. And then the cost of electricity in rural Alaska, as well as rural northern Canada, is extremely expensive, especially using diesel So there are some incentives to switch to renewable energy. A lot of homeowners have said, I would love to see solar panels on my roof. 
and a few have said they might lose the program that supplements their energy costs because of different sources of funding in the state. And so that's another reason why they might want to explore more renewable energy. And then to the house's efficiency point, renewable energy will cut the costs and it is much cleaner for the environment. If the house is still leaky and inefficient, they will still have to use more, except the cost should be lower and the environmental impact will be lower. I think it would be really great if they were able to get solar panels on their homes. Hopefully that program that is supplementing some of the costs will take that into consideration so that we can have cleaner energy as well. You only surveyed 27 homes. Was that because that neighborhood only had 27 homes? Or was there an obstacle that prevented you from interviewing more people? So the community was actually a bit larger than other communities in rural Alaska. There was about 700 people who lived there and about 200 or so homes. So I did have quite a small sample size. My goal originally was 20 homes, and I was able to get more, which is absolutely incredible. But the way that I did it was by advertising in the community, and people would contact me. So that's how I got people interested in the research. And then (laughs) those people would talk to other people, and that's how it spread. So I think the main obstacle to not getting more was that I was there for almost three weeks and it was really challenging to navigate going to rural Alaska with the equipment and having another research team out there might be a bit of a challenge too because of just how remote it is. You have to consider a lot of stuff, can't ship stuff there. I tried. (laughs) I had to bring my tests on my equipment on the plane, but yeah, I was very lucky to have 27 homes. And I was in two weeks, and that was pretty good. So if I was there longer, I probably would have gotten many more homes. But I I was pretty happy. More data is always a better thing, but we always work with what we get. How was this community picked for the study that you were performing on energy efficiencies? Were there any incentives given to community members that were participating? And what benefit did they get out of this research? So we gave some nice gift cards. We had Visa gift cards because those can be used anywhere. And we chose those so that each person who got an interview got $80 in Visa gift cards. And each person who did a housing assessment got another $80. So they were they got up to $160 for participating. And then the benefit of the research is that they knew that their data would go back to the community's housing director and could potentially help them to get new housing in the future. Now, I know that your research was focused on energy efficiency within these houses, but did you observe anything else, for example, the water system or maybe the air quality or other things regarding the infrastructure of the houses? Yeah, so a lot of the houses were very small, actually. um, The smallest one that I observed was 320 square feet. That's very small. And a lot of the homes also had a lot of people living in them. The average amount of people living in those homes was about double. It's about two and a half people per home. And that's average. I don't know what this half person is. But in the community and rural Alaska in general, there's a lot of overcrowding. And so a lot of homes have multiple generations living there. And in the community I was in, that home had 
or those average amount of people in those homes was a bit over three. And then in the community in general, as seen from housing studies done by a research center in Alaska, it was a bit over four. So when you have a lot of people in a small space and you don't have enough airflow in coming into the home to provide a healthy indoor environment, you'll get some challenges like mold and you'll get CO2, which is CO2 is used to measure the indoor air quality in a home and a high CO2 value could be indicative of health problems. And so you might see asthma, especially in children, And you might see like more respiratory illness that could potentially be due to poor indoor air quality. And what I observed was mold. There was a lot of mold present. Actually, about 52% of the homes that I assessed had mold growth in some area of the home. And that was mostly around the windows and in the corners of the wall in the ceiling or the wall in the floor. So I did see one home that had it actually growing up the walls, and that is a very, very significant observation that I found. Yeah, it's never good to have mold in your home, especially if you're breathing it in all the time. It's clear that you've already reached the near the end of your research. Could you give our audience a little insight into what you plan on doing once you've finished and graduated? Yes, so I really, really became invested in this research and pretty passionate about finding ways to improve the energy efficiency and indoor environment of homes in rural Alaska and rural northern Canada. So I've been just reaching out to companies that I find from Deep Dives Online And there's actually a really cool housing research center in Alaska that I'm interested in. I'm really hoping to get a job in that field. Otherwise, I will be building up on experience until I can someday go back to working in northern housing efficiency. It's very interesting to me. So that's what I plan on doing after school. And I'm currently applying to jobs. Well, that's awesome, Maria. Good luck with the job applications. And thank you so much for joining us again on the Sci-Files. It was really nice to get to hear about your research more in depth. And thanks again. You're welcome. I really enjoy talking about my research because it's a challenge that is not really visible to the rest of the world. So it's becoming more out there. And I'm really glad to just spread the word and try to help out. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. To hear more about us and learn more about our episodes, check out scifiles.org. If you're a current MSU student that would like to be interviewed, please reach out to us at scifiles at impact89fm.org. We'll catch you next week on the Sci-Files, and remember, the truth is in the science.